Hello again, everyone. Thanks for checking into LJN Radio and our podcast, I Want to Be A. In each episode, we complete that sentence with a different title, bringing in professionals from a variety of fields and industries, looking to give you all the information you need to land these particular jobs and, of course, thrive in them. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today I want to be an architect. Yes, these are the individuals responsible for designing and a lot of other aspects, actually, when it comes to buildings all around us, both great and small. But what is it really like to be an architect? To talk about its components and how to get on that career path, we have an experienced architect in Robert Ivey, the CEO of the American Institute of Architects. He joins us from Washington, D.C. Thanks for coming on today, Robert. Tim, I'm glad to be with you. First and foremost, if you could give us a little bit uh, about yourself, you know, maybe a little of your career path, your experience, so that uh, you know the listeners see exactly where you're coming from. Certainly. Tim, uh, although I'm currently head of our architectural association here in Washington, for many years I was a practicing architect with the largest firm in my home state. I made payroll. I designed buildings. Uh, I sat with school boards late into the night as they sort of dreamed about what they needed and what they wanted. Um, I did that for, oh, almost 20 years. And then a certain point along the way, uh, I moved to New York, where I became the editor of the International Architectural Magazine called Architectural Records. So I've done it all. Well, and that's, you know, that's obviously having someone like you on with that experience. And so you talked about that broad scope of looking at it, not just, you know, as you said, sort of the, the traditional model necessarily. First and foremost for yourself, what attracted you to the industry? I mean, was it something you always wanted to get into? Did something spark your interest? How did that sort of come about? Well, I think every every person that enters architecture has a unique story, just as they do with most professions. And in my case, I wanted to be a writer initially. But I happened to find myself in France when I was 20 years old, and I visited a building, a building. It was called the Chapel at Ronchamp, and it was by a great architect named Le Corbusier. Le Corbusier was one of the great architects of the 20th century. Sure. And I, I, I visited this chapel, and I met the man who had been the client who worked with the architect, who was still full of the passion of building the building years later. And I stood on that hilltop, and I looked at that building, and I said, you know what? This is one of the coolest things I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And it's worth spending a lifetime to find out about. And I didn't consciously leave writing at that moment, but I think in my mind, that is when I chose to be an architect. How did that all work then in terms of, I mean, sort of switching gears and getting into the field or, or sort of finding your path? And can you give us a maybe a quick breakdown of, of where you went from there? Yeah, the message I share with people is that everything matters. Every decision you make along your career trajectory matters. The volunteer work that you do matters. And in my case, I wanted to be a writer, so I wrote. But I also made architecture. I, like a lot of other people, had some diversions, but I ended up in architecture school. Uh, I happened to go in at Tulane University in New Orleans. I finished that school and went through the normal path of internship and uh, finally became a licensed architect and practiced in my home state. And that state was Mississippi. It was the poorest state in the union, but I had a full and thriving architectural practice there. Uh, I did that for a number of years. So it's it's not a direct path, but the entire time I was doing that, I was writing. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, I got to do both. And I don't think that's atypical, not about the writing part, but about the fact that I had things I wanted to do, and I did them at the same time that I was doing the chosen profession. 
Yeah, you know, you're right. It's actually amazing how many people we talk to and the, they dabble in different things and they sort of bounce from one profession to another because, as you mentioned, the passion to do it. And if you have the skill, obviously, that's a good match. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the educational side. For those listening and that are interested, I, what are the degrees they're looking at getting into? What are the sort of the subjects that are really important uh, just to sort of put them on that right path from the get-go if they really feel this is something they want to get into? Yeah, certainly. Uh, well, here's one important message. Uh, there are over 100 accredited schools of architecture in the country. Okay. I'd say the number approaches 130. And I think that accreditation is important to recognize. Some students enter schools that are non-accredited and it takes them longer. Mm -hmm. The degrees that they offer vary. You can go in as an undergraduate and emerge five years later with an, under, with an architectural degree. You can also get an undergraduate degree in another subject like I did. I had a degree in English literature and I went back to school and acquired a master's degree. The amount of time to do these various things depends on what you start with and where you come out. But you're probably looking at from five to six years education to become an architect. Okay. In terms of, I mean, you mentioned that accredi the accreditation part, which, uh, you know, as you stress, is, is important. How about extracurricular activities or, or different types of, of work maybe you could do while you're going through a program or, or kind of getting your feet wet? I mean, do you have any suggestions there? I can talk from my own experience, and I was sure. also a teacher. I, I taught architecture, and architects love architecture, so they, <laughs> they, they really never want to let go of it once they get into it, I would say, typically. Many of them teach. Uh, many of them are engaged in schools in one way or another, helping out, uh, teaching. Uh, but uh, they also uh, are valued employees along the way. Now, the question is, is there time, if you're a busy student, to be an employee. In my case, I worked. I worked for a large urban hospital in New Orleans, and that gave me income because we do pay uh, interns and internships. And it gave me a sense of self-worth at a time that I was making a big change in my life. I can't say that that's, it's always so easy for everyone to find employment like that, but mm -hmm. I will tell you, it makes a difference. It helped. And I also had writing. I always had that writing. And, um, the writing was important because, in my own case, it gave me a perspective. You know, it gave me words and also a point of view. And it's stayed with me my whole professional life. When you mention the idea of internship or, you know, another profession might be just some sort of field work, are those required aspects of uh, when you're going to, to try to get a degree in architecture or how does that work? Well, what people typically do is stay the course through school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as I said, it might take five years for uh, the, the Bachelor of Architecture, or it might take six for a Master's of Architecture. And it really does require your full attention. And, uh, but once you graduate, uh, you enter into a period uh, where you're waiting to become licensed. Okay. And you're employed. And that period of time varies uh, depending on the, let's just say, the level of activity in the firms that you're working in. Uh, but it typically takes over three years to become licensed. You're still actively employed. You're designing buildings. You're working for a firm. And, you know, we would call you an emerging architect, I think, uh, sort of as a euphemism. You're somebody who's <laughs> about to become an architect. You will have finished school and you're in the process. You're employed and you're headed towards your license. Take us a little bit through what the process might be of, of applying for a job in this field. Is it, a, is it a thing where you're constantly trying to network? Are you going, are there different like job fair type things? I mean, what would you say is sort of the, the best direct path to apply for positions and really obviously the ultimate goal getting a job? Obviously, architects like any other field recognize talent and experience. 
that that's just true for doctors and lawyers and anybody. So you start with a baseline of competence and how did you do in school? And you put together a portfolio throughout your entire architectural education. Okay. And it'll include the projects that you love, the things that you worked on while you were a student. If you did a museum that you particularly loved, you would include that in your portfolio. Your portfolio is probably electronic, something that you can share with other people easily, and you can send it out electronically. But here's another message I have. Architects are people, right? And as employers, they are people. So the way you present yourself, uh, the words that you use, your ability to engage someone else in a conversation, and even to tell a story about yourself is important. You have to learn those basic communication skills and not only to be shared the to share the drawings that you can make, and hopefully they're beautiful and they're going to change civilization as we know it, <laughs> but they, you also need to be able to tell your story just in a unique and a compelling way. Who are you? And uh, what have you done? And uh, why should you be the unique uh, one that this firm should be interested in? I think those are basic skills that uh, every young architect should learn. Let's go back to the idea of a portfolio, because I think that is an important piece. And it's, that is actually one of the reasons we started doing a show like this, because some people don't realize it till it's too late that you know I should have been keeping this stuff. I should have been, you know, sort of keeping tabs on what I'm doing in a more specific way like that. When it comes to that portfolio, I mean, is it just saving everything you have? Is it trying to sort of create a picture of who you are through what you do? And what would you say is sort of you know, advice for those that are trying to put that together already? Yes. Uh, it, many schools actually help you uh, to the extent that you'll take a course in professional practice, let's say, okay. which would be the, the, the course that would help you understand what it's like to be an, an actual practicing architect. And often teachers in those courses or in the design studio will help you think about the kinds of projects that you would include in your portfolio and you would build it up from your earliest experience through uh, your final year of study. You would probably want to demonstrate proficiency thinking, your ability to, to puzzle through a thorny question. Perhaps you did a project that was particularly complex and you had to find some sort of solution. Perhaps you did a project that you thought uh, and others came off particularly well as a, a beautiful example or something that someone could learn something from. You're going to have a variety of reasons. There's no template mm -hmm. for a portfolio. But ultimately, what you want is for your own personality to come through, your knowledge and skills to be demonstrated. And I think also, well, as an employer, because I've been an employer, to see how someone organizes material. Are you able to think rationally and pull this all together in a way that leads you from point A to point B? And so that when I'm through, I understand you better? That's your job in putting a portfolio together. And at the same time, of course, you hope to knock the socks off of the employer. <laughs> uh, and, and if you're able to do that, great. But I think we as employers look at how do you organize the material? Is, it, is there a consistent uh, hand here? Sure. Is there a consistent point of view or a consistent intelligence behind that is organizing these things? When it comes to the interview then, and you, you mentioned obviously presenting yourself in a certain way and uh, you know using the proper English, not just in terms of how you speak, but the vernacular of the industry. Is there a functional component to it? I mean, are you actually like trying to lay things out for, for the interviewer at all? Are you trying to, I mean, do they have you come up with an idea on the spot? I mean, is there anything like that going on? How would you sort of break down the interview process? 
the interview process is, I would say, different from uh, other professions in that regard. Okay. Uh, this is this is it's less of a test because your work typically speaks for itself. Okay. The work that you've put together in the portfolio most often describes your ability. So that's really the biggest the biggest piece is really that portfolio and how it presents. I think you. that is the critical element. Okay. And then, are you a credible? person who can present themselves well when you finally get to an in-person interview. And some offices may literally do a video interview today, Hmm. but an in-person interview, I think personally that an in-person interview, if you're able to uh, obtain one, always gives you a leg up if you can get to that point. And that's true in any employment. And that literally comes down to how how do you present yourself? But also, I think it also means, I think, a mistake that not only young architects, but people in other professions often make is they think that it's all about themselves and they don't listen. So one critical message that I would have for a young architect going into an interview is to empathize, to think about the person that you're meeting with and to put yourself in their shoes. Can you do that? Can you listen to the person? Not only sell yourself, because that obviously is a role you've got, but also can you hear at the same time? What are they looking for? Who are they looking for? What type employee are they looking for? And ask them. You can probe. You can push uh, just as they can with you in a nice way. And I think that ability to, to listen critically is a, is a key skill for any new employee in almost any situation. It's, it's not all about selling yourself. It's also about listening what the other side needs. Great advice. Can't argue with anything you said there. Let's move over to sort of the uh, the professional side of things now. And I know this is difficult. We're speaking generalities and you're, you're talking about long-term projects, obviously, sometimes with, uh, with your profession. But what would it be like to walk us through a typical day or maybe uh, some components of, of what a project might be, just to give listeners an idea of what exactly it entails? Yeah. Uh, part of what we love as architects is the variety that we're called on to sure. exercise, uh, just of, of disciplines, of, of modes of work. Um, in a typical day, an architect would wake up and let's say one who's already employed and engaged with a firm, they well might go visit a job site where a project's under construction. And they might observe that project under construction for a period of time, meet with a project manager, with a general contractor, with a client on the site, try to solve a problem in the field, uh, which is a very different situation from something that you would face in the office. Mm -hmm. So there's that sort of engaged level. Uh, Another activity that you would be involved in, of course, you're texting the whole time and you're working your BlackBerry. (laughs) You get back to the office. Uh, You're dealing with the business often when you walk in the door. Uh, Someone who is, let's say, a business manager is confronting you with how questions about contracts uh, you've heard from a client that they have, uh, they'd like to negotiate further on a contract. So you have to be knowledgeable about how contracts work. Then you're immediately pulled in to a discussion about design. And design, people think that that's all architects do. And honestly, it's an important function of what we as architects do, but it's only one element within a much larger spectrum of things that architects do. Mm-hmm. But that's what you love. So you're going to spend time looking at the designs that are being developed by your coworkers and, you know, for yourself. And it may be in in overview. It may be at the level of program. Gosh, what is this school going to consist of? Is it for 1,200 people? Where is it located? 
So you have those conversations. You might have them with your employees or with other employee colleagues. Uh, A client may well have an appointment and they want uh, you to alter or change a design that you're already in in work with, Uh, for instance, uh, that you're doing a house for someone. And they might make an appointment and come in uh, to evaluate what and and to discuss with you what they had already decided and then change their minds in the course of the discussion. Sure. We don't want a bedroom that will do this. We want a bedroom that we can be totally private in with no windows at all. I'm making that up, but (laughs) that's not uncommon. You know, midstream. So you got to alter your your workflow. You sometimes at lunch would go to a civic club. You're a member of, you're a citizen, you're a member of a community. Uh, Or maybe you sit on a zoning or a planning board that you're going to attend that evening. And finally, at the end of the night, you might put on a black tie and go to a charity or fundraising event for a project that you hope to do. It's a that's a smorgasbord, right? It's a varied platter of activities, and it's yes. not at all uncommon. And I guess that gets to the, one of the other questions that people had in terms of hours. I mean, there's really no, no limit to what you're doing or how much you're doing. I mean, just to give people an idea, it is really. I mean, it could be round the clock depending on what's going on, right? Absolutely, architects work hard. They work hard in school. Uh, they, they typically love what they're doing, so they will work as many hours as they feel they need to during the course of a day, and the clock doesn't really stop. But the other side of that is that uh, also nobody has to tell you uh, when to quit your work. Uh, As long as you're able to do your work, typically there's no statute of limitations, there's no clock ticking away, and often architects hit their stride, really getting their best work done as they approach their 40s, even their 50s, and their great work among the great architects often doesn't happen until they're 80 years old. Hmm. Uh, you can do this well in an, at an advanced stage because you're acquiring knowledge throughout your entire career, and it, it's additive. Unlike a surgeon whose skill may wane the older they get, with an architect, often it increases. Frank Lloyd Wright uh, you know, died in 1957 at, at an advanced age and produced some of his greatest work in what could be viewed as a third or fourth career. How about the skills or personality traits that you would point to as being just absolutely essential if you're going to be successful and have a long career in this profession? I can't tell you how many people I meet that say, I was going to be an architect, but I wasn't good at math. I was going to be an architect, but I'm not an artist. I mean, there are a variety of reasons why people would like to be an architect, but they didn't do it. And in fact, my counsel would be, eh, don't let that stop you. <laughs> the The math component is important, but it's not the deal breaker. Some schools rely less on advanced calculus mm-hmm. uh, and more on basic math skills. Some schools don't require physics for graduation, but ask you, to, you know, they'll put you through a different curriculum. So I would not be put off if, in fact, you find yourself uh, headed in that direction and find the institution that meets your own skill set, you know, and your own interests. So obviously, yeah, you need to know some math. And you, I, I was not particularly good in physics uh, when I was in, in undergraduate work or advanced calculus either. But I had a good head. I, I, was, in, I was analytical. And uh, I loved to draw. And I, um, I also was a good thinker and a good organizer and a good project maker. So those are my skills. But my skills aren't like your skills. So there's no clear path. Now, having said that, some wonderful artists make great designers. There's no way around it. They do. 
But I don't think that we can define an architect by any one of those particular skills because there's room for all those skills. Well, yeah, and just as you were going through sort of what a day could be like, I mean, it, you touch on so many different aspects of really what different jobs would be, the management side, the business side, the, the creative side, as you touched on. So I, I think I think you're right in, in talking about the, the different avenues people can sort of come from. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break here on I Want to Be an Architect with our expert guest, Robert Ivey, a longtime architect as well as the CEO of the American Institute of Architects. If you do want to listen to the rest of our conversation, just go to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list. There in the upper left-hand corner, you can type in I Want to Be an Architect and part two will pop right up for you. In the meantime, if you'd like, send us any comments or suggestions to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. There you can let us know what you want to hear about, maybe learn about a new profession, a new industry here on LJN Radio. Until we talk again next time, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.